This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Lord, that is our prayer, that your kingdom would come beginning with your rule and reign in our own hearts. And so, Father, we we pray that in these next moments as we dig into your word, that your spirit would speak, that you would incline our hearts to you, and that Jesus would rule and reign in our hearts and lives, and then through us, As we just sang, our our prayer is that everyone would know your name, that everywhere on earth, every tribe and tongue, and so equip us to go out and to be your people, beginning with our neighbors, beginning with our families and our friends and the people that we go to work with, the people that we go to school with, but let it not stop there. Lord, we, we pray that, that through, through our involvement in the Great Commission activities of the gospel, through our giving and our going and our praying, that every tribe and tongue would know your beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans uh, chapter 5. So we're continuing to walk through the book of Romans, and uh, last Sunday on Easter, uh, we were in verses 6 through 11, and this morning, we are going to look at verse 12 through the end of chapter 5. It's all about death in Adam, life in Christ. Death and Adam, life in Christ, Romans 5 and verses 12 through 21, if you would find that in your copy of God's Word, and then stand and let's look at it together. Paul says, beginning in verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned for sin was indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. I remember um, when I first heard the term AIDS, I was in college and one of my professors required us to read Newsweek magazine cover to cover each week as a part of our assignments. And I remember seeing this little obscure article kind of buried within the pages of Newsweek about um, this new disease. Well, before long, it was on the cover of Newsweek, and everyone was talking about it because it was an epidemic that was sweeping across our country. And if you were there in the mid-80s, you know that there was a tremendous amount of fear associated with AIDS. First of all, because at the time it was thought to be a, a death sentence for anyone who had it, but there was also a, a tremendous amount of, of mystery surrounding it, the mystery about the, the, the nation's blood supply uh, and, and how exactly it was transmitted and what level of, of contact would, would transmit it. And, and there was a whole search for a, a patient zero, thinking that if they could find the, the first person who had it, then perhaps they could find a, a cure. But the disease that Paul is talking about here in the latter part of chapter 5 is infinitely more dangerous than, than, than any physical disease because a, a physical disease can, can destroy your body, but the disease of sin can destroy your soul. And a physical disease could shorten your physical life, but the disease of sin could cause you to spend eternity separated from God and hell. And what Paul is doing in this text is he's helping us to understand the nature of this disease. He's identifying patient zero, but he's also identifying the only one with the cure. Death and Adam. Life in Christ. Let's look first of all at, at, at death in Adam. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, what Paul is doing here, not only in verse 12, but in this whole text, is he's, he's, he's leading us to kind of take a step back and sort of see the big picture of some things. It's really important. You know, I found that in traveling and, and, and visiting uh, cities, if, if I will take, you know, 30 minutes, maybe an hour to, to just kind of, before I leave, just to kind of study a map 
and to kind of take a, get the big picture of that city and sort of see where the different neighborhoods are and, and kind of think about, you know, where the different sites that we might be going, where, where they kind of are positioned on the uh, map and so forth. It, it makes it a lot more fun once you get there. And, and I'm like a lot of people, I mean, I, I, would just, I just sort of want to, you know, zoom in and just kind of begin doing things. But you spend a lot of time kind of stressing about where stuff is and kind of how to get around and that kind of thing. But, but if you take just some time before you go, um, for instance, with New York and just kind of look at the map and see, okay, here's where all the different neighborhoods are. And, you know, we want to eat at this place and we're going to see this place. And here's where that is. Here's where this is. And take a look at the subways and see where the different subway lines, which where the red line runs and the blue line and all that. And, and if you kind of have some of that big picture in your mind before you get there, then you just can kind of get there and you can have fun instead of kind of worrying where everything is. And sometimes our tendency, um, is to kind of, with, with scripture, is sometimes we just kind of want to immediately uh, dive into application and how this impacts our, our lives. But, but, but what we need to do sometimes first is to step back and kind of see the big picture of things. And that way, when we do zoom in for the close-up, it makes a lot more sense. So what Paul is, is doing in verses 12 and following is he's helping us to get the big picture and, and, and help, he's helping us to see some huge theological concepts so that we'll be able to zoom in rightly and apply them. And we see that here in, in, in verse 12. Let's take a look at it again. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world. Now those five words, sin came into the world, are Huge. What do they tell us? They tell us that sin came into the world. In other words, it was not a part of the world at the beginning. God did not create a world with sin in it. Nor did he create a world with death in it. Which is where he goes next. Verse 12 again. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. In other words, sin entered the world, uh, death entered the world when sin entered the world. God created a world without sin and without death. And when Jesus comes again to bring about a new creation, it will not have sin and death. Last week at Easter, we, we talked about the resurrection of Christ. But to understand just the full, glorious meaning of the resurrection, we can't just stop with the moment that Jesus walks out of the tomb. We need to understand what that leads to. Because his resurrection leads to his ascension and his exaltation and his coming again. When those who know him are also going to be raised. If we are alive, when that happens, then these these perishable bodies that we live in, that are subject to 
aging and injury and stuff going wrong and, 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 and suffering and, and sin and, and death. If we're alive when Jesus comes, these old perishable bodies that we have are going to immediately in the twinkling of an eye be transformed into glorified bodies like the one that Jesus walked out of the tomb with, right? They're in, a, in just a, a nanosecond, we're going to get glorified bodies and we're going to live in a new creation without sin and suffering and death. If we've died at that point, the dead in Christ, the Bible says, will rise first and they are going to get glorified bodies, transformed bodies, real flesh and blood, but imperishable, not subject to sin and suffering and disease and death. And so death and all that goes with it, all that goes with it, all of that is alien to God's original design. It was not a part of his original creation. It is an enemy. Death is an enemy that Jesus is going to destroy. You know, sometimes people try to minimize death. They try to kind of make light of it. Um, a terrible example of this is um, a piece that was written over 100 years ago by a guy named... Scott Holland, but sometimes you'll hear it read at, at funerals. Uh, <laughs> this is terrible. But Scott, uh, Scott Holland says this, and he's speaking, he's speaking as if a person who has died is writing this to loved ones who are left behind. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I've only slipped into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. All is well. Nothing is hurt. Nothing is lost. Try telling that to a grieving family. It's not a lot of comfort. No, no, death is an enemy. It is an enemy. It is, it is an intruder. It's not a part of God's original creation. It is an enemy but a beaten enemy that is eventually going to be a destroyed enemy. John Donne, in his poem, Death Be Not Proud, is much closer to what the Bible teaches when Donne finishes that majestic poem by saying, Death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Death is an enemy, but a, a beaten enemy that Jesus is going to destroy. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that, that Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then at the end of chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, when, when Paul tells about the glorious return of Christ, and when he tells us that we're going to be, we're going to raise and we're going to be raised and we're going to get imperishable bodies. He says there in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Now, many Christians speak as if the ultimate victory is to leave our earthly bodies and go to heaven. And as glorious as that is, as wonderful as it is to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, that is a biblical concept. As, as wonderful as that is, it is not the ultimate victory. No, the ultimate victory is when Jesus comes again and we're not going to be absent from the body. We're going to get new bodies. And we are going to be forever in a new heaven and earth without sin and without death in imperishable, glorified bodies. That's our future as believers. But not only do we need to understand our future, we need to understand our past. Not to wallow in it, but to understand where we're headed. Sometimes we can only understand kind of where we're going if we kind of understand where we've been. And that's what he's talking about here. Where, where, where have we been? How did this whole thing call sin with all of its brokenness, how did all of this emerge? Let's go back to verse 12 again. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, obviously, that, that one man is Adam. Now, maybe you've heard the term original sin. Now, most people get that wrong. When they think about original sin, most people think about the original sin, you know, the first sin, Adam's sin. That's really not what, what theologians mean when they talk about original sin. Original sin refers not just to Adam's sin. Original sin refers to the bent toward sin that all of us have had since Adam's sin. Original sin refers to the sin nature the bent towards sin that every single one of us was born with. And it manifests itself early on, as parents here know. Michael Bird is a New Testament scholar and commentary on Romans has been a, been a great blessing, but uh, he's not only a scholar, but he's, he, he's a funny guy and a father and uh, Michael Bird says this, uh, you parents can relate, I never had to teach my children how to lie. They picked it up quite naturally. The mess that one child makes, he or she will instinctively blame on another child, preferably the younger one who cannot speak for himself or herself. I sincerely believe that crying babies would throw their own mothers under a truck if it would get them what they want. Experience taught me that raising toddlers is like working for Caligula and Charlie Sheen combined. A house run by teenage boys has about the same degree of law and order as lunatics running an asylum. A community of miners stranded on an island would not resemble Peter Pan's Never Never Land, but would descend immediately into something more akin to William Golding's novel, Lord of the Flies, where the strongest rule the weakest with merciless spite. If you ever want to see what people are like, what they are truly like, see what they do when they think no one is watching them. Whether 
it is under the cover of night, in a dark alley, or anonymously on the internet. That is where you see what evil desires lurk within the hearts of men and women. Yikes. Original sin is something that we are born with. As a late theologian, R.C. Sproul said, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. But how are we to think about our own sin in relation to Adam's sin? So there are two mistakes here that we really want to avoid, okay? One mistake is to sort of play the blame game and to say, well, it's all Adam. <laughs> it's all Adam's fault. No, no, the, the Bible teaches that all of us are accountable for our own sin, right? Um, the blame game actually goes all the way back to Adam. Do you remember what happened when God confronted Adam about his sin? What did Adam say? The woman you put here with me in the garden gave it to me and I ate. He managed to blame both God and his wife in the same sentence. So the blame game goes all the way back to Adam. So, you know, we want to avoid that. Okay? We're held accountable, responsible, each one of us for our own sin. Paul says it here in verse 12, all sinned. We saw it in 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're accountable and responsible for our own sin. So we want to avoid the blame game in regard to Adam. But the other mistake that we want to avoid is saying that, you know, well, our, my, our sins are in no way linked to Adam. Oh, yeah, they're <laughs> very much linked to Adam. Um, and when we deny that, then what happens is we end up denying original sin, which is heresy. And we end up denying that we are born with a sin nature. And if you deny that you were born with a sin nature, not only are you committing heresy, but it, you're not going to know how to deal with sin. If you think that your sin is just nothing but sort of uh, actions, all you're going to do is treat symptoms. But if you understand that your sin emerges from a sinful heart, a heart that is sick and bent in the direction of sin, then you will search for a remedy for your heart. And friend, that only remedy is Christ. Only Christ can deal with our sinful hearts which is where sinful actions flow from. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. And that leads us to the good news. Life in Christ. Life in Christ. There's death in Adam. Praise God, there's life in Christ. Verse 15. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This is a picture of the Great Wall of China. And it was built originally by the Chinese to keep out the, the Mongols from the north. So far as we know, it was never 
breached, never, never broken, but invaders managed to get through it on at least three occasions. How? By bribing the gatekeeper. Adam was kind of a gatekeeper, kind of a representative of, of all of us. And what, what started with one led to a spreading catastrophe. But what does he say here? Go back to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see that phrase, much more? Paul uses it again in verse 17. And what he's saying here is, is is that the... The, the beautiful, redemptive work of the one man, Jesus, far outstrips the treacherous work of the one man, Adam. In fact, the work of Jesus not only outstrips it, but reverses it. Reverses it. For those who trust in Jesus. In C.S. Lewis's novel, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, these four siblings <clears throat> are taken to the country estate of a professor. It's World War II. They're trying to get them out of London. London's being bombed. And so they're taken to this professor's estate. And these four kids are playing around, playing hide and seek. And so uh, they discover this, this old wardrobe filled with old coats. So they go into this wardrobe. They begin to pull back the, these coats, walk through it, and then they, they, they walk into this, this magical land of Narnia. But Narnia is under a spell, the evil spell of the white witch. In Narnia, it's always winter, but never Christmas. Kind of like we think about March and early April around here uh, in 2018, right? Always going to be winter. um, Narnia, always winter, never Christmas, but the ice in Narnia is beginning to break because Aslan is on the move. Aslan is the lion who represents Jesus. Aslan is on the move, and that ice is beginning to break. But then in the story, one of the children, Edmund, betrays his siblings and sells out to the white witch because she gives him candy. But then he discovers that he's trapped. He is in her evil clutches. But Aslan, despite Edmund's treachery, rescues him. But then the white witch reminds Aslan that according to the laws of Narnia that a traitor must die for violating the laws. And Aslan steps forward and he dies in Edmund's place. And he dies on a stone table and the the evil witch slays Aslan with a knife on the stone table. And then 
end the story as, as two of the, the sisters are, are walking away from the stone table and the dead body of Aslan is, is lying there on the table. The ground begins to shake. And they turn around and they see that his body is gone. Susan, shouts Lucy. What have they done? Asks Susan as they approach the stone table. Suddenly, Aslan appears. Aslan, they shout. As the girls hug him, Susan says, but we saw the knife, the witch. Aslan responds, when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack and death itself will be turned backwards. Death itself will be turned backwards. That is what the death of Christ has done for us. He has reversed the curse of death by becoming a curse for us, by taking death on himself. And so sin and death have been defeated. Verses 16 and 17. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, the one man, Jesus Christ, has come. And because of his life of righteousness and his righteous death for sinners like us on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, sinners like us can be made right with a holy God. The curse has been reversed. Death has been defeated for all who are united to this Savior by faith. Again, Michael Bird says the human condition can only be healed by the extraction of the evil that has contaminated it and corrupted it. We need another human also created in God's image who can siphon away evil, suffer under its weight, and yet not succumb to its dark power. That human being is the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Are you in Adam or in Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work of the one man, Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who died on the cross for our sins, who was raised victoriously from the dead, and we thank you that by linking our lives with his, by faith that his victory is our victory, his accomplishments 
are applied to our account, that we can be made right with you and that we can be with you forever in a new heaven and earth where sin and death are no more. Thank you for the gospel. As we continue to reflect before God in these moments, are you in Christ? Is your life united to Christ by faith? Have you turned to Jesus in repentance and faith and received him? Are you united to him and all of his saving work? Turn to him now. If you have any questions about it, turn to him, trust him. Trust the one who has defeated sin and death in your place. In a moment, we're going to stand and, and sing. I'll be here for you. Our pastors are, are here. We could talk with you during our time of invitation or after this service, but we don't want you to leave with questions unanswered. We don't want to leave you to leave without being able to talk with someone and pray with someone. We are here for you, friend. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family to serve him together, we want to invite you to come. There's a need in your life, a need for prayer. You can come. You can come pray at our altar. You can come pray with someone at the front, me or one of our pastors. So, Father, speak to us now. Work in our hearts and lives. Have your way with all, with all of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. 
be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.